Welcome to the Autism.Ohio. I'm Rob Gorski. Building on the success of my award-winning blog and podcast, The Autism Dad, this localized edition supports Ohio families on their autism parenting journeys. As a single dad of three amazing autistic kids, I've been a go-to resource for parents navigating neurodivergence across the globe since 2010. The Autism Dad Ohio connects you with essential resources, education, and support that will help you all throughout your journey. You'll also hear inspiring stories from families all across Ohio, just like yours, reminding you that you're not alone. So don't miss out. New episodes drop every Friday. Subscribe on your favorite podcast listening app and visit theautismdad.com for more information. On this week's episode of the Autism Dad Ohio, I sat down with my friend Lori Kramer. Lori is not only an autism mom, but she's also the executive director of the Autism Society of Greater Akron. And I'm a huge fan of the Autism Society. I, they, they do amazing work. They do it locally. And, uh, I, I, I can't say enough, uh, about what they do. Um, but Lori stopped by to have a conversation about what her personal journey has been, what her family's journey has been. We have a very honest conversation about what the challenges are that, you know, she faced with her son when he was little. And as he's transitioning into adulthood, he's about the same age as, as my Gavin. So we're facing a lot of the same challenges. So we, we talk about some of those commonalities and, and we talk about the state of the autism community and, you know, some things that we would like to see that would help, you know, improve people's lives. And we talk about the Autism Society, uh, what they do, how they're supporting the local community, what types of resources uh, they make available to people, how you can access those resources, as well as how you can support their efforts too. Uh, it's really important with the Autism Society that, that we support them because every dime that they bring in stays in the local community. And it's something that really sets them apart from some of the other organizations uh, that are out there. So I really appreciate you guys taking the time to tune in today and I hope you enjoy the interview. Thank you so much for taking the time to be here. Uh, I really appreciate it. I've known you for many years, but we kind of COVID and life and everything else. But uh, I'm really glad that you're here because I'm a huge fan of the Autism Society. I always have been. You guys are my favorite organization. Uh, and thank you, Rob. If, if you could take a minute and just kind of, you're welcome. If you could take a minute and introduce yourself and just sort of tell us a little bit about who you are. And then I want to talk a little bit about your parenting journey. And then let's dive into the Autism Society of Greater Akron because I'm a big fan. We have a lot to say, don't we? Yes, we do. I have a lot to cover. Um, So, yeah, my name is Laurie Kramer. I have been the executive director of the Autism Society of Greater Akron since 2011. Um, Prior to that, I was a volunteer. So I started volunteering in roughly 2004, 2005, somewhere in there, uh, when my son would have been four years old. And so back then, way, way back, we were an all-parent volunteer network. And so it was literally kind of our night jobs to answer those phone call from our fellow parents saying, hey, and at the time, I say this as an example, because this is what was kind of happening at the time. Um, Do you know something about the diet? So I would get people calling about how do you do the gluten-free, casein-free diet? Because that was like the thing in 2004 and 5. And then maybe somebody else would take on, you know, how, how do you deal with potty training? And maybe somebody else would take this on. So really, uh, it was a it was a, a volunteer network of parents. And I, um, my career at the time, I have a 25-year career in public relations. And um, the way that I got here was I met my husband in Washington, D.C., and we got married, had our two children out there. And then we're learning that our son, Philip, 
Uh, we didn't know it was autism. He was diagnosed at Akron Children's Hospital, but we knew something was up and moved to Akron for a more manageable home life and community in addition to some family support. Uh, and my kids were diagnosed. All of my kids were diagnosed at Akron Children's. Um, yeah. It's a place to go if you're in Ohio or at least in Northeast Ohio. <laughs> right. um, right. I think it was actually one of the only places you could go back then. I think that's right back then you are right. Yes. Uh so how did you know that there was something going on? Like, what did you start noticing early on that made you think like, okay, something's not right. Like your mommy sense is tingling, right? Cause I, we have that sense that just tells us something doesn't feel right, you know, and you worry and you want to yeah. just get things checked out. So like, what was, what was that like for you? I, I actually, am. it's a little bit of a, uh, a tough journey. I think people were trying to tell us maybe before my husband and I saw it. Um, I, I was an older mom. This was our, my first child. Mm -hmm. I was a career woman. I wasn't around a lot of children. Um, in my office, there had been another man that I worked with, a, a colleague who'd had a, a child. And I remember him saying, well, you know, I think his daughter's name was like, you know, Lindsay or something. And he's like, Lindsay's singing her ABCs. And I'm like, hmm, Philip's not singing his ABCs. And <laughs> so I started to get, you know, we were in a development and all the babies came out in the spring. And I remember the twins who lived next door, one of them pointed and said, moon, mommy, moon. And I was like, okay, Philip's not pointing and saying moon. You know, there were little things, but we still thought that, that okay, but he's doing okay, you know, like you do. Mm -hmm. And um, I do think my, like I said, my family who already had children were probably new before we did. Um, ultimately, and our pediatrician, by the way, at the time, this was also a very common story. The pediatrician, he, he had a Spanish-speaking nanny. He's like, he's going to be bilingual. We're like, already, he's just late. He's going to be bilingual. Yeah. <laughs> so honestly, it took us a while. Uh, at 18 months, he was not talking. But autism was never brought up. It was just a language delay. And no, he's fine. He's He'll sit in your lap. He'll do this. He'll do that. And at the time, that wasn't autism. So um, fast forward and, and even, um, at Akron Children's, you know, it was a little bit of a journey to get that diagnosis. So he wasn't diagnosed until uh, about three and a half. And, but we started to, uh, scratch our head and say, well, gosh, you know, Philip's not doing that at about 18 months. Right. Which is kind of the classic, not meeting the milestones, but as our first child, I don't think we realized and saw it as much as when we had our second child, we were like, Oh, now we see what this looks like. But when it's your oldest, it was a little harder. You don't have a frame of reference. Exactly. I really, we really did. And it's hard. Yeah. You know, we don't want to think there's something up. And, and I remember when my oldest was diagnosed, he was diagnosed in 2005. And he, he, um, he's one of those rare ones who experienced regression. So that was hmm. not a good, we never quite fit in anywhere because it's sort of a different, like he developed typically to he was about four and then massively regressed. Wow. Like it, it felt yeah. like overnight. So it was, it was diagnosed as childhood disintegrative disorder, which used to be in the DSM under autism, but I don't think it is right. anymore. Um, right. And so when my other two presented, didn't recognize it for what it was because it was so different than, than what wow. it was. Right. And so then it, yeah. then it became once we figured out Emmett because he was nonverbal and we thought he was, we thought he was deaf. And then we found out through Akin Children's because we did all of our testing there. Like he, yeah. he failed all of his intensive hearing screenings. We're like, they're tracking eye movements. Like you can't just ignore mm. things. He failed everything into the ABR 
And they were like, yeah, his brain is processing sound. He, you know, we think maybe, you know, you need to look at autism. And here he's been like tuning the world out for four years. And, yeah. uh, and so then we went down that path with him and, and saw that, okay, autism can look like this. And then wow, his older yeah. brothers, two years older, didn't see it in him until his preschool orientation when I saw him in a group of his own peers. And then it yeah. hit me like a freight train. And, yeah. and so it's tough when you don't have that reference. It you know? is agreed. Agreed. And, 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 and people are telling you, don't worry about it. Boys are later. Don't worry about it. You know, like I got the, he'll be bilingual. Don't worry. You know, there's a lot of don't worry about it. And then you're just like, you know, I got to worry about this because of course, what was also starting to happen, um, he was getting the associated behaviors that were coming with a lot of frustrations mm. and the delays were getting bigger and the gaps were getting wider. And, you know, we were like, no, 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 there, there's something else happening here. And then, of course, you know, with, with Philip, too, we have got a lot of um, coexisting or comorbid, you know, medical conditions, yeah. which were a whole nother journey. You could do a whole nother podcast on that. Um, again, the back then, all people saw was autism. They weren't even considering the things like the autoimmune conditions that they're more aware of today and, and the gut issues and some of those things. Did you and, and I don't know how I guess I didn't know that about him. Did did they develop later in life or did he, was he, was he born with them? Like, did they... uh, I think he was born with it. I do. He, we, you know, okay. Again, back then there was all the talk about the special diet, the gluten-free case yeah. free diet, you know, that was sort of the thing to try. And so, and the whole biomedical approach, and I'm sure you remember the day on doctors defeat autism now, and, yep. you know, there was all that going on back in early 2000s. And I, I think what was difficult about that and some of the things are, they're learning or, 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 or even starting back then new, you know, we almost have to subtype autism. They're still working on subtyping. Yeah. But I think someday yeah. they're going to understand those children that have that autoimmune condition. Um, that's going to be a different subtype because medications and diets and he's allergic to every food you can think of. Um, all of that worked for him. And then there are people, you know, if you do studies on the entire autism spectrum, you weren't getting those results. And so so scientists are starting to realize you got to first find the first subtype, you know, do that medical research on the type that has the autoimmune conditions, the gut issues, all those things that are tied in together and how that impacts the brain. That's a whole nother layer. To the that, gut brain right? connection it, is very real. real. Yes. And, it, and it, I think we're, we're just now start, we're, we're coming into we're, that, that, yeah. that knowledge now where we realize that like, I, I didn't know that serotonin and, uh, there's a lot of connection between like dopamine and all that stuff starts in your gut. How did you, so when you're, you're kind of an early person in this whole journey in Ohio. So like, uh, how much has it changed since you went through this process? I was just talking to a mom like five minutes before we were on mm. and, and we we're just talking about how much has changed just since she started this journey seven years ago. But you know, we're both 20 years into this, like right. how much, and, and as involved as you are with the autism society and you get to see all of this stuff that's going on, like how much have we learned? Like how much better are we doing with helping kids? You know, boy, I could, that's another one to, you feel like you could spend a whole podcast on, huh? Well, for full circle to where we started, it's I, I, 
In some ways, it's easier to get a diagnosis. Yes, there's more people that are available to diagnose besides just, you know, our one children's hospital. Having said that, because of the pandemic, there's a two-year wait list right now everywhere. You know, it's hard to get a diagnosis still. I will say once you get in there, I don't think you're going through several years of people going, oh, I don't think it's autism. I think there's so much more awareness and understanding of autism now Mm -hmm. that I I, I really don't think once you get in there, I think you're much more likely to get that diagnosis or not get it um, because there's more understanding and a more awareness of, you know, this is not bilingual issues. This is autism for all these other reasons, you know. Um, So I think that I think that's really changed. Um, I think in other ways, I wish we had made more progress. We still, one of our number one phone calls is the inconsistency in the schools mm-hmm. um, and how the Individuals with Disabilities Education Act, how IDEA is interpreted. Um, that's very different from district to district and um, from county to county. And so sometimes it feels like, really, have we not come further than this? And I remember um, talking to Ruth Sullivan. I'll never forget. She's one of the founders of the Autism Society of America. She just died this past year at like 90 or something. Her son's probably my age now, and I'm not that young. And um, she when really kind of was talking to a group of parents and said, how are we still talking about this? How are we still talking about our children in schools and and their, their needs being met in a school? And here she was, the original you know person who went to Capitol Hill to even get our kids in the schools in the 70s. That was the original reason the Autism Society of America was founded, was just to get that early version of IDEA passed. And so our kids would be allowed in public schools. So in that way, I feel very thankful to the Rusullivans of the world because my, you know, my son was in school, but he was the first one to attend his 22 years ago, or now that would have been whatever, when he was in um, kindergarten. He was the first kid in his class to have autism. And I kind of get wow. a little, I got a little bit of a confusion. Looked like, what's this kid in here for? And then I had moved from Washington. And I was like, well, why not? This is our school. Why can't he come here? Didn't realize we were pioneers, you know, again. Um, in Ohio, if you think about it, um, uh, students with disabilities were still going to the Weaver School in Summit County, and that wasn't that mm. long ago, you know. So, um, so a lot's changed, and I wish that there had been more that has changed. I, I wish that there was more consistency, and that parents didn't feel like there's still such a battle there. And then I guess I would also say that as my son goes into adulthood, I am shocked at how little has changed in 20 years. Of course, you know it's yeah, right. That's <laughs> that's where I am right now. I'm living downtown there. And like, uh, I didn't realize how hard this transition to adulthood is. (laughs) Like, like I, uh, we just got through, you know, he's got his waiver, you know, he didn't, he didn't even qualify the first time. And I was like, there's no way he doesn't qualify. (laughs) Like, I mean, so we had to run through a second time and, and you, you have to navigate this stuff. Like, Parents don't want to highlight like the quote unquote, like bad things about their kid. Right. So you're trying to play everything right. up and they can't Your help. Your natural you. instinct is go, no, he's really doing better on that. Yeah. <laughs> they can't help. Yeah. That's not the time to say that. Yeah. They can't help you if you, if, if, if you're not identifying where the need is. Right. And right. so we went through it again and this time it was like, okay, look, this is, this is what we're dealing with. Yes, he can do these things, but it, it's supervised, right? Like, I mean, he needs, he needs support, he needs support yeah. for this stuff. And so he, yeah. he got the waiver and we just went through OOD 
and he did his job assessment and we're, we're starting day services on the 22nd and all this stuff. He's 23. It took me that long to, to figure this stuff out. And like, I've been involved in this forever. And so like, if I struggle with this or, or you struggle with this stuff, what does that mean for everyone else who doesn't have that, that experience or that knowledge or those connections? I couldn't agree with you more. I say that too. I'm like, okay, I work at the autism society. I kind of, you know, we're not a direct service provider, as you know, but we provide a lot of programs and services. We interact with direct service providers. We interact with all the DDs. You know, I'm thinking, I've got this. I'm pretty well, nope, out. Uh, Adult world, (laughs) it's like, here's my pet peeve. We invested, we being the parents and school systems and therapists, and we have invested literally, right, hundreds of thousands of dollars and hundreds of thousands of hours in early intervention only to go into an adult services world, at least in my case, that does not speak my son's language. There it is there. You've, he's learned a life of, I, he follows visual schedules. He has things broken down into steps for him. You know, he, uh, there's support for him in a number of ways. There's first then language. There's language that he can follow. Now to go into a world where it's like, what is a visual schedule? Well, how do we use a visual schedule? What is that even? What is a first then board? What is a token system? What is all that? You know, and you're like, wait, what? That's what we just learned in early intervention. And nobody knows how to speak that. Uh, It's, it's, I, 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 yeah, it's mind boggling. I I had, uh, when I was going through the process and I'm sure you can probably relate to this with the, the board of DD down here. Um, I was, I was really overwhelmed because I, for the first time, I mean, I've raised Gavin since he was a year old, you know, and I, I adopted him later on, but like, it's been Gavin and I for 22 years. And this is the first time in his life that I have, like, I have to step back and let him, like, because they don't want to talk to me. They want to talk to him. Right. So they're, yeah. that's, he's never had that because he, he struggles with that kind of stuff. And so I asked them, I was like, you know, is there a support group that you know of for parents? Because like, this is really tough. Like, mm. how do I, how do I let go? Like, how do I, I want to, I don't want to be an impedance to him. Right. And, but I also don't want to just let go and like, just see what happens. Right. I mean, there, I feel like we need to have guardrails. <laughs> like how, how guardrails. What, what is my yeah. role now as a dad after all this time? Mm-hmm. And they're like, we don't know of any, any support groups. They're like, do you want to start one? And I'm like, I, are you kidding? <laughs> well, me? Like, Cause I need another thing to do. I, right? I, I want to benefit from one. Like I need, I need one for myself. I don't want to start one. I mean, I do want to start one, but like it, it's, there's, there's just all of this stuff that you think would be so simple, but have a positive impact. And it just doesn't, it's just not there. It's hard because there's a balance there between, and I I guess this is what's good. And this is what's hard. Everything is supposed to be person centered, right? So it's all based on Gavin's needs. The reality is though, the system is not set up to just meet Gavin's needs. It's still a a largely, it's a system, you know, and the navigating that for Gavin is the hard part. And of course, I always say this too, Gavin and Philip sound very different. You know, Philip has a lot of autism, as I say. Mm -hmm. And so he's not able to advocate for himself. He needs 24-7 support and care. And that's hard too. So you've got sort of a spectrum of needs that each person you want to give them every opportunity to be as independent as possible. And like you just said, to learn um, how to navigate their world as best they can. Mm -hmm. 
with the supports they need, but that don't get in their way. You know, right. Like you said, some guardrails there, but that looks a little different for everyone. And I think that's the, you know, the challenge we face as parents is, is how do we set them up for that success without getting in the way? Um, yet with a system that's still evolving quite a bit, you know, adult services, I, I think you've got everything from those that are really trying new and innovative ways of doing day programs to, of course, people like that that look like they're trying to go into an employment route, a college route. I mean, there's there's lots of options, um, but none of those are necessarily easy. Have, have you seen some of these things are really cool what I'm seeing. And, and I don't know if they're doing this in Ohio, but they're doing things as they're transitioning out of high school or as they're getting into later high school. Uh, or that age, like some of these, some of these places are like, they, they rent out apartments and they take, they like teach kids daily living skills in these apartments as part of the curriculum for whatever, you know, yeah. system they're in where they're, where they're learning to navigate real life things that will help to promote independence as yeah. they're going. So that when it t comes time to transition, they have a better chance of being able to do that. I have not seen that here. I have to tell you, okay, so my colleague, Lisa Thompson, she's the director of programs, mm -hmm. and we've been together since 2012. Uh, and we call it our harebrained ideas, but that was one of them. We're like, let's open up a house where people could come and learn laundry and come and learn yeah. how to do dishes. And yeah, yeah, we, we, let's do that as an autism. But, you know, we, we have got more ideas that, that than we can possibly begin to do. But that was one of them because I I think it was Pennsylvania that is one of the areas that does that in their school system. They have they do have that hands-on learning. And I don't know of that here. I'm not saying it's not here, but I, yeah, I just don't I've know. not seen that. Yeah, I'm not. Yeah. Well, if you haven't seen it, I haven't seen it. So if you haven't seen it, I, it's probably <laughs> do the two of us, somebody would have seen something by now. But, you would think. But those, are, but those are kind of like the creative things that I think we need to evolve the system into at some point. And, and then I think the system needs to... We need to fund the system for one thing. Oh yeah, and uh, and like thank you for everybody who who voted issue twenty one down here. You know, so yeah. so that DD in Star County has uh, the funding. Yeah, that was a big. I was worried about that. Um, but you know, I mean, it, the, even the system has to be able to better adapt to the individual needs. But when you're a system that big, it's hard it's to hard. adapt. Yes. And and things like autism are so difficult for people to wrap their heads around yes. because you have you can have a million people present a million different ways but be diagnosed with the exact same condition. And yes. how do you how do you even how do you explain that to people and and, and get I, them to truly understand? I think it's a challenge. Um there's a number of things that are challenging there, but I, I just saw that the CDC, you know how they just released the, the, numbers? the updated numbers on autism on one in 36 children. Well, something that they also did, which I thought was interesting, is also said, okay, out of those one in 36, 27% have profound autism. And they defined it. And this is kind of controversial these days because there are people who don't think that it should be defined. Yeah. Um, but I do think there's a major effort affront to say we have to not gloss over profound autism, which looks very different and need completely different support needs than someone who's considering college or even vocational school or, you know, that beyond high school opportunity. Um, that Because that profound autism is going to need 24-7 uh, support. And 
that looks very different. And so we have to talk about that and not gloss that over. 27% of those children out of one in 36, I mean, sit on that a minute. That's, That's a lot. <laughs> I, I have been, there is, I've seen it from both sides because I have, I have Gavin who, who needs help. Not to, not to the extreme that a lot of kids might need help. And I had a kid who was nonverbal for four years. So I do understand what that was at the time. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, not that I'm walking anybody else's shoes, but I, but I have experienced what it's like to think and to feel like my son is never going to speak. And I, I, I know what it's like to have the extreme end where it feels like he was taken away. And, and so I, I, I'm very empathetic and I'm very aware that everyone's experience is different. And I think even in our community, um, and it's one of the things that really frustrates me about autism awareness month, because I feel like it's so unproductive you know, we want people to understand how different people with, with autism are, how, you know, whether you want to call them autistic people or people with autism, I think everybody has their own personal preference and I try to respect whatever someone prefers in their life. Um, right. cause it's, you're never going to hit the mark every time. Someone's going to be offended no matter what you say. And <laughs> I just follow their lead. Um, sure. and even people within our own community, don't seem to be aware or they forget how different autism can present from family to family, you know? And like you mentioned the high needs kids at 27, that's a huge number of kids. That's a big number. Yeah. Whatever the number is, 27% of anything is a big number. Right. Is a chunk. Yeah, absolutely. And people don't want to talk about it. They, they assume because my kid is autistic and he was mainstreamed that your kid is autistic. They should be able to do the same thing or, I think autism is my kid's superpower. And you have another family whose whose kid, you know, doesn't speak or can't dress themselves or can't feed themselves or can't use the bathroom. Yeah. And they're they're autistic too. And so we yeah. oftentimes invalidate each other's experiences and it creates tension and animosity. And it's heartbreaking yes. to see how yes. how we we fail to recognize our own experiences. And, and then what message do we send the people out of the community who have no idea what's going on because we don't have like this cohesive message. And, uh, I I wish, I wish we could help remind everyone just how different every family's experience is, how every person is different and how everybody is uniquely, you know, they're beautiful and amazing in their own way. They all bring some you know, light to the world in their, in their own way, but the challenges that they face may be very different than what you're facing in your family. And so we shouldn't, I mean, we got to kind of reserve judgment. I mean, we should be reserving judgment, but you know, people are going to judge anyways, but like, like we should be our own biggest supporters, <laughs> right? Like if your kid's doing something great, fantastic. I'm so happy for you. And so when my kid does something, maybe not in the same caliber, but just as equally as amazing, it's my great moment, his great moment. Yeah, yeah. right. I mean, like it's it's. Let's celebrate that. Right. Let's not tear each other down. Yeah, that's. The autism community is incredibly fractured, and I I do think, um, it, it is it is probably our biggest challenge, and I I, I couldn't agree with you more. Um, the Autism Society had something called the Options Policy, which has now been updated into something different. But on it, you know, Lori Kramer, take me out of being executive director a moment. That was a a decision made at the national level to kind of update the options policy. But I, the options policy in a nutshell said what you just said. 
that every family has to make the decisions that are best for them, best for their child, their children. Um, it may be a different therapy than what you're doing. It may be that the diet works for them. It was because back in 1995, which is when the original options policy was drafted, they were worrying back then about, should we be doing ABA? You know, does the diet really work? What's the right therapy? This, that. And, and there were, this was a little bit of an approach to say, hey, everybody, let's just give people options. And every family has to determine what's best for them and their child. That should be okay. You know, we're not, we cannot be a one size fits all. We can't be. No. The autism spectrum is too long and too wide now. So we have to let that go. One size does not fit all. We do not have to all be on the same path. And in fact, we can't be. We cannot be because those needs are different. I'll never forget my first Autism Society conference. And my, you know, I, Full circle with what I, we talked about with my son's allergies. I was just learning more about them at the time. And this woman was like going off on me about the diet. And that's just the latest fad. And it doesn't work. And I'm like, and I, as a young mom, you know, I, I, it really kind of beat me down because I'm like, well, let's see. Okay. It's like, you shouldn't be taking him off of milk and that's just going to be harmful. And I'm like, okay, okay. And so I go home, I take him off milk. He's beating his head up against the wall. I take him off the milk. He's on their beat and set against the wall. What would you do? You know, so it, let everybody figure it out because, you know, that is where, okay, I've got a kid beat his up, head up against the wall because he's on milk or not. Well, you know, so yeah. give each other that grace to say this works for my kid. It might not work for yours, but hey, he's not beating his head against the wall anymore. So we all do what we feel is right in the moment. You know, and I, I wrote this article called Juggling Plates years ago. And, and the whole idea was that what people don't understand, people often judge what they don't understand, right? I mean, it's kind of human nature. 100%. And, right. and a lot of times, and for me, it was, it was just stuff on a service. Like they'd come into the house and see I'm living out of a laundry basket or like, right? Like, because there's just so many things else that are going on with three autistic kids and being by myself that I've, I have to re-triage everything all the time. Like I just can't focus on everything that everybody else gets to do. So yeah. we have to juggle these plates and we know that everything is fragile. So if it hits the floor, it breaks, right? People come into your house and they just see all the broken plates on the floor. They come into your life and they see all the things on the floor and they just think like, my God, like you're just dropping everything left and right. But what they don't understand is that you're constantly getting these new plates hurled at you all day long, all night long, because when you're a parent to an autistic kid, it's 24 seven. It's 25, yeah. eight, whatever. I mean, I mean, it's, it's, yeah. it's, it never. This isn't parenting 101. Yeah, it, I it, say it, the it, same it, thing. This is parenting 505. It, it, <laughs> yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't end. There's no break a lot of times. There's no reprieve. Even at yeah. night, you don't sleep half the time because your kid's not sleeping or you're worried about something. And, and so you're constantly getting these new plates thrown at you. And so you're having to triage in real time, knowing you can only keep so many in the air. And in, in a split second, you have to decide what can I sacrifice up here because what I know is coming my way right now is more important. And then, so you have to let things go. And, mm -hmm. and so what that mess on the floor really is, is just showing that you're prioritizing the most important things that you can in real time. And you're doing the best that you can. It's not a sign of failure or bad parenting. And, and people fail to see that they, they just don't understand the real time struggle that goes into raising a child with a, with a, with a disability. 
And, and maybe we don't give ourselves that pat on the back for all the plates that did yep, not fall. Exactly. And I, could exactly. not agree with you more. Exactly. I try to, to say that to parents like, good job, mom. Good job, dad. Because I'm like, nobody ever tells us, good job. You didn't drop that plate. Yeah. Hey, I didn't drop that plate. I dropped another plate, but I didn't drop that plate. Yeah. I, I, you know, so sure, I'm, I'm juggling laundry right now, but my son is having issues at school with bullying or something. So that plate got hurled at me. Am I just supposed to, laundry is now no longer as important. So now I'm going to pick up this thing with the school and I got to start dealing with this. And then there's more things that come along. So I have to drop something else. I mean, it's, it's real time yeah. triage all the time. And people will be like, well, why don't you just prioritize? You should prioritize your life. And I'm like, but if, <laughs> right. Like right. I try to be nice about it, but it's like, if everything, <laughs> if everything is a priority, that means you've got the crystal ball. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, okay, let me just get that crystal ball out and figure out which how, new plate's going to get thrown at me. How do you so prioritize when everything yeah. is a priority? Yeah, that's yeah. I mean, that's that's what so many of us struggle with. And so all of the everyday things that, you know, a lot of other families just take for granted are things that just don't we either don't have the time, energy or resources to even have on our radar. Yeah, You know, and, and, and it's just uh, it's one of the reasons that I love sharing people's stories. And it's why I wanted to ask you about your personal journey, along with what goes on with the Autism Society, because people feel so isolated and alone. Yeah. And when you can hear another mom come on or another dad come on whenever they decide to come on, cause they are coming on. Dads are talking more now, which is amazing. That is amazing. You, you get to feel like you're part of something bigger and you're not on this Island unto yourself feeling like a failure because your kid keeps having meltdowns and you don't know how to help them or whatever. And, and you can hear, you know, Lori Kramer talked about some of the struggles that she had when, you know, her son was little and, and how she felt overwhelmed. So like, okay, that's okay. You know, that's there's, okay. there's somebody exactly. else who can, knows who knows what this is. And yeah. the more people that we get to talk about it, the more stories that we get to share, the more connected we become. And the more, um, I'm, I'm, I'm friends with uh, Kate Swenson from Finding Cooper's Voice. And she was on a show last year and we were talking about how we live in these bubbles where we don't even know the other family is there because we're so wrapped up in our, in our own struggle that we don't know that yeah. there's someone one street over who's dealing with something very similar and they could right. be an ally. They could be a friend, yeah. they could be a resource and we could be there to support each other, but we just yeah. don't know. Know about each other. We don't know about each other. You know, the Autism Society of Greater Akron, one, we have our own mission, which to your point, we create connections, empowering everyone with the resources needed to live fully. Because we really do see ourselves as that hub, as, as not being a direct service provider. We do provide many programs and services, but oftentimes we're referring you to those programs and services. Mm -hmm. um, right before the pandemic in 2019, we were chosen, it was part of a competitive grant through the Department of Developmental Disabilities. Um, they created something here in Ohio called, called the Ohio Family Network. So our five county service territory is Stark, Summit, Portage, Medina, and Wayne counties. That is all about those connections you just talked about. It is all about, and when, I wanted to go back to your support group comment. Um, if you have any ideas on that, Rob, we'll, we'll take it. We have tried to launch support groups in a number of different ways. Um, we're trying something new saying, how about just getting together for dinner? But we've done, we've got a couple of traditional support groups. They're like coffee groups, kind of. Um, we've done online. We have done, you name it. 
I think we have to really identify what we're looking for. And if I'm hearing you, what you're looking for is how can I learn from other parents? Yeah. Because, you know, I'm not the first person to say this, but everything I know, I feel like I learned from other parents. Yeah. So it is kind of that. Am I the only one going through this? Is anybody having difficulty doing that? Am I missing something here? I think that's what we want. Yeah. But how do we do that when we are these overwhelmed parents who don't have time to sit down together and and what is the best way to get to you? Is it through those webinars where, you know, somebody comes on and talks about the adult services world? Well, the hard part is it's about 20 components to that. But, um, you know, how do we tailor things? And I'm, I'm we can talk offline yeah. about this, but I, I we welcome that input. You know, help us know how to be that because we want to, to for you to know your neighbor next door or your neighbor two streets over also has a child with autism. Because you are exactly right. Having that connection, what I call my autism mom friends, there yeah. is nothing like it. They support me. We are each other's cheerleaders. It's so important. And I I, I can't say that enough. So I agree with you. So I wanted just to kind of pivot. Yeah. A little bit I, I remember what it was like back in early 2000 when my son was diagnosed. When I first heard autism for the first time outside of like Rain Man, right? Because that was what everybody right. knew about autism. Yep. It was the scariest moment in my life at the time yeah. because I had no idea what to expect and I had absolutely no one who understood what was going on and I felt completely alone. I mean, I had family who was amazing. My family's always been supportive, so we have but they didn't understand. Right. And and there wasn't right. anyone else who who has gone through that. And you know, I was talking with um Nikki White from Raising Ramey. She's in Summit County. Uh mm -hmm. she's got a big platform too. Uh awesome family. And we were talking like, we almost need like parent mentors, you know, mm. where, where it's like, look, Hey, I've, I've been there. It's going to be, you just need to know that it's going to be okay. And that it's okay to not be okay. Yeah, It's okay to be sad just because your kid has a disability. doesn't mean that they can't frustrate you. It doesn't mean that you can't have real human emotions where you feel frustrated or angry or resentful sometimes because I've been there. My kids drive me absolutely crazy. I love them to death. I wouldn't change them for anything sure. in the world, but they drive right. me crazy. Sure. But that's their yeah. job. And it needs to be okay to, to sometimes feel that way. Yeah. Yeah. So we should definitely talk about that uh, and and figure something out because I would love to be a part of something like, like that and, and help connect um we are parents. natural with that, Rob. So that would well, be well. I appreciate that. It makes me super nervous. You, I, I, you'd be great. Well, yeah, I'd love that. Thank you. <laughs> um, before we go, let's let's talk about the walk because the walk is coming up at this point in time. Uh, the walk is coming up. This episode will probably air whatever next Friday is. Okay. Um, so we'll try and get as much, at least a little less than a month notice. But then there's also yeah. one. Well, there's one in Akron and there's one in Star County. Yes. So June the 10th is our Summit County Walk, and mm -hmm. this will be our 13th year, and it will be at Lock 3 again. Okay. Even though it's going to be under construction, we're going to be utilizing the side behind the Rubber Duck Stadium, if everybody kind of knows where that is. Visualize that, yeah. And it is a one- and two-mile walk. Um, you can get registered at Autism Akron backslash Step Into Autism. And that is the website, and you can register for both the Stark County and the Summit County Walk. The Stark County Walk is on August the 12th, and it is at the McKinley Memorial. 
And we did our first walk there last year and we're blown, we were blown away by the, uh, just the response and the participation and the energy that came from that. So uh, we love our Summit County walk. It's uh, roughly a thousand people. Wow. Uh, we have pom-poms, music, vendors, uh, games. Um, it's just a two hour time to come together. And you talk about one big giant support group. I I will tell you, like every other job, for, for just like everybody, sometimes I get burned out in my job. I go to the walks and I'm like, this is why I do what I do. And it's those families. And it's it's the reason that we are together and we support each other. And look at me, I can get, you know. <laughs> so it's, a, it's, it's an okay. emotional it day, even for us as staff. Um, I'm actually the founder of the walk. And it's amazing to me to still be doing it 13 years later. So and then when we added the Stark County Walk, what's fun about it is it was totally new for them down there. So I kind of revitalized and yeah. brought us all, you know, together uh, in a different way for a new county. And that's a lot of fun. So love to see everybody there. It's a, it's a great time, a great opportunity, a great way to meet people. All right. So we're going to put put out some ads. Uh, so you guys will hear about it in future episodes until we get to that point. Uh, wh- when is the Star County one? Did you say? August the 12th. Oh, August the 12th. So we definitely have time for that. That's two weeks before we my birthday. That's two weeks before my birthday. Oh, so you guys can all do the walk. Happy birthday. Can, Happy birthday on that one. Thank that's you. Awesome. You guys can all do the Star County walk as a birthday present for me. That would be Perfect. amazing. Um, that would be amazing. I... One of the things that I, I like, seriously, I, one of the things that I want to just mention about what you guys do, which I just, I have so much respect for what you guys do. Every dime that you guys take in from these walks, every every fundraiser that you have, every penny that you bring in stays in the counties that you serve. It doesn't go anywhere else. Yes. And so Correct. when you yep. when you support the Autism Society, whether it's in Akron or wherever else, you're actually supporting the families. You're supporting the people who support the families. And directly. Yeah. yeah and that's so important. That's so important because, uh, you know, it, it isn't always I'm trying to delicately, it isn't always like that. And I know everybody, you know, when we, when we get off to some awareness month and, and people want like giving Tuesdays and that kind of stuff, like, it's great that people want to give. I think it's, I think it's amazing, but I think it's important that we really pay attention to where we're giving because the money that, that the more money that makes it to the people who need it, as far as like supports and education and resources and things like that and connecting like you guys do, the more, the more you're changing lives, you know, like I, if I'm donating something, I, I want it to have an impact on a person's life. Locally. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and you really can see that impact in Ohio. I think with all of us, we have five, there are five affiliates yeah. in Ohio and every one of us are the same way that those dollars stay local. And, and Rob, I appreciate you, you making that point because we say to people, everything we do is either free or highly subsidized, highly subsidized. Our water safety program costs us $900 a student, but families only pay 400 And so people don't always realize that, you know, our bike camp. um, And yes, our goal is to have a bike camp in Stark County next year. You know, families pay the 250, which they they can't afford. And by the way, there's scholarships Mm -hmm. for anything that we have. But this is where that money goes. It costs us $700 a bike camp person for per student and bike camp. Families are only paying 250. 
that money comes from that fundraising. So that is where you are helping. You are helping each other. You are helping provide those services and those programs here locally that we can't do it without that help. So, so when you go to these walks and you see all of these amazing people, a lot of those people are benefiting yes. from all of the all of the fundraising. So like I, I just wanted to point that out because a lot of times we worry about where the money goes and knowing that it stays local has always made me feel really good because I know that it's going to help because I, cause I know all the things that you guys do and mm-hmm. I, and I know that it has a real life impact on the ground for people. And, 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 a, and a lot of times the everyday people get lost in the cracks and you guys are, are scooping them up and, and making sure that they, that they aren't forgotten. And, and that's, what's so important about what you guys are doing. And that's not something that I see happen everywhere else. You're making a difference in everyday people's lives, like my family's or, or someone else's family. Like, and that's absolutely, that's That's where we are. That is our mission is we kind of say we're the handholders. You know, we are those that try to be those, those, the person on the ground with you. And because it's not on purpose. It's just the way it is. Every one of the staff people here are impacted by autism in some way. And I think we do walk with you. We're not, we're not, we're walking with you. We are talking with you. We're not talking at you and we're not walking at you. <laughs> you know, We are you and we understand what it feels like. And I think we bring that with us to, that's where our passion comes from. So I appreciate you recognizing that, Rob, and that is why we're here. Well, I, well, I mean, you're welcome, but I really appreciate everything that you guys have done. Um, how... What is the best way for people to find you guys to connect with uh, the Autism Society of Greater Akron? So um, a number of ways. Our website is autismakron.org. Uh, we have our phone number. You can call our helpline anytime. It is free to call in. We have two su- wonderful support specialists, and that phone number is 330-940-1441, and the support specialist is extension one. We also have a closed Facebook group called Coffee, Tea, and Autism that you can join. It is it is for parents of children for, with autism. Um, we're kind of strict about we try not to allow others into yeah. that because we want that to be a place that people can post and feel comfortable and feel safe as parents. And, um, of course, there's the Twitter and the Instagrams and all those kinds of things like that and, and just our regular Facebook page. But, yeah, that's the best way to connect in with us. Okay. Um Thank you so much for everything that you guys do. Thank you for taking the time. I know that we we went over and uh, I think it's important. So I, I appreciate um, the extra time that you uh, you had for this. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Before I let you go, I just want to say thank you for taking the time to tune in today. It means a lot to me. I really appreciate it. And, you know, I put a lot of time and energy into each one of these episodes because I want there to be a resource for you that wasn't available for me when I was going through this with my kids. And, you know, I I want there to be a positive impact on your lives. I want you to be able to learn something and enjoy what you're hearing. So uh, thank you again. I really appreciate it. For more information, you can visit theautismdad.com. You can subscribe on any one of your favorite podcast listening apps. And uh, I will talk to you next week. Thank you. Bye.